Welcome to the For Love and Money podcast, the show where business and social purpose meet to inspire a movement for positive change. Here's your host, Carolyn Butler-Madden. Our guest today is a leader of the global purpose movement, best-selling author, visionary founder, inspiring keynote speaker, Afdal Aziz is on a mission to solve one of the biggest problems facing individuals and companies in the 21st century, how to find purpose and meaning in their work and unlock the enormous power of business to do good in the world. He is the founder and chief purpose officer at Conspiracy of Love, a global purpose consultancy that works with Fortune 500 companies to help them grow their businesses by doing more good in the world. Conspiracy of Love, is a proud minority-owned business and a certified B Corp. He is also the co-founder of Good Is A New Cool, a creative company and content incubator focused on creating positive stories that fill the hope gap. Good Is The New Cool produces books, podcasts, TV shows, and a global conference series called GoodCon that has taken place in LA, London, Sydney, and New York. Afdel is the co-author of the best-selling books Good is the new cool, market like you give a damn, and the follow-up, the principles of purpose, as well as writing the power of purpose column in Forbes. He is also an internationally renowned keynote speaker who has been featured at the Canned Lions, YPO, South by Southwest, Forbes CMO Summit, Advertising Week, Conscious Capitalism, and the Fast Company Innovation Festival. He lives in LA, California with his wife and son, Aftel. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the For Love and Money podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Carolyn. I'm a huge fan. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being a champion for purpose in Australia. Uh, I'm so excited to have this conversation. It's been coming for a while. Um, and today I want to take the opportunity um, that this interview offers to tap into your insights and expertise to answer some of the biggest questions around purpose that listeners may have and to, ex to explore some of the more critical challenges. Um, and we've just talked about this and agreed it's going to be less a Q&A and more a, I'll throw a few questions to get us started, but, um, but I'd love to get your questions on the table as well. And, you know, let's get into it and, and see if we can Get to, get to the root of some of the tougher ones. But before we do, I will kick off with the question we ask all of our guests, and that is, what is the role of love in business today, do you think? Well, you're talking to a guy whose company is called Conspiracy of Love, you know, so I, the answer is right there in the title of the company. We think that actually love is one of those often misused terms when it comes to business. And some people look at us strangely and say, why are you called conspiracy of love? And we have to explain to them, well, you know how you say you want your consumers to love your brand um, or you want your employees to say, I love working for this company. Well, the secret is you have to give love to get love. And companies aren't very good at giving love. Um, and and so we sometimes say we're in the business of helping you know companies um, unlock their purpose, but deliver love to the communities they're part of, to the environment, you know, certainly internally to their employees. Um, and and so it's it is one of those powerfully used words, but it comes with an expectation that you have to walk the walk. You can't just expect it from other people. You have to show up as a company as well and act with love. That's a fabulous perspective. And um 
it's such an obvious one when you think about it, but in business it has been a one-way street, hasn't it? It's like, you know, they want all this stuff and they want to manufacture this stuff, but they don't they haven't realized until now that that the way to get it authentically and with longevity is to give it. Yeah, yeah. to give it, yeah. to give care, I to give a that. damn, to look after your people and your customers and, you know, and, and to care enough for something to stand up for it. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, it's funny when people say, what is the conspiracy of love? We say, well, the answer is all those people who are inside companies who are kind of toiling away, sometimes secretly, sometimes feeling alone to unlock that love in, you know, to unlock that love in their companies. And the conspiracy is, it's all these incredible women and men, you know, and I say women and men deliberately because 90% of our clients are women. I just mm, want to point that same. out. It is women who are rolling up their sleeves and sorting the stuff out. And, and sometimes they feel alone. Sometimes they feel like I'm the only person inside this company. Feels like, and, we're, and our job is to say, no, 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 no. There's a vast conspiracy of people who are like you in all of these companies, in all of these different, all over the world. And, and let us help you join this network of purpose-driven leaders who are trying to unlock the power of love and business. So interesting you say that. And and um, we experience the same here. It is uh, predominantly women, but even the men who, who we work with are in touch with their feminine side. They're really comfortable with their feminine side. And, you know, I think it really connects to this idea of, the soft skills in business mm. that traditionally haven't been valued. They've got a place, but, you know, just keep them in line. Um, but what I'm seeing is they're starting to come to the fore. And I love the way, like, I love the name Conspiracy of Love. I always have. But I love the way you talk about it here because, yeah, it, it feels like, um, you know, People are, I mean, conspiring, it's, it's yet, yeah, but it's bubbling, it's bubbling up and people are finding other people like them who care yeah. enough. Yeah, I, I'd love to get your perspective on, on how it's turning into a movement, Carolyn, because that's what we certainly see right now, you know, and it's a global movement, right? So right now we're working with um, Sephora on a global purpose platform that covers all of their different markets middle east china north america we're working with nike out of amsterdam on a super interesting project around storytelling and purpose and we're working with coca-cola in latin america we're working you know to see how purpose manifests in colombia brazil argentina chile and had you told me five years ago when i started this journey that we'd get to the point where there was this global explosion of purpose i would have been flabbergasted i would have said you're out of your mind but that's what's happening right now there there is this flourishing and, and there's some markets which are ahead of others so i would say north america is where it's most advanced um then then western europe canada um actually i would i would put canada and australia in kind of like the same tier where i would have expected purpose to be embraced faster and deeper but it hasn't mm. happened as yet uh, and then you kind of got like, you know, Latin America, as I said, and Asia, which are now waking up. And so there's kind of a kind of a long tail of purpose that's happening globally. And and it's we have a ringside seat to what's going on. And it, it is truly exciting. 
and I, I want to get to that because I think you know Canada, Canada and Australia. I've I've um, I've got Canadian friends, and uh, you, you would know Phil Hade from Public. Um, yeah, Inc. in Canada. Amazing work, yeah. Yeah, and um, and we were talking for a long time and we were saying, God, there's such similar um, countries and societies in so many ways. So it doesn't surprise me that they're sort of tracking around the same and I would mm-hmm. say lagging. Mm-hmm. And I want to get into that. But before we do, what do you think has driven the movement, has, you know, has escalated the movement Um in the other markets and here as well in in Australia, but COVID was. Do you think that's part of it? Well, it's funny. I'm working on book number three at the moment. You know, which is about personal purpose. And so that book one was brand purpose. Good as a new cool market, like you give a damn. Principles of purpose. Book two was about corporate purpose, and the third book in the trilogy is about individual purpose and how you find it through work. Oh, brilliant! And. I may have done like two dozen interviews at this stage. And the 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 common thread I keep seeing is that trauma plays a role in kickstarting somebody to think about their purpose. Something bad happens to them. They're in a natural disaster. They almost die. Somebody close to them dies. They lose their job. They almost go bankrupt. They go through a moment where there's a crack in the universe. And that's the thing that makes them go, wait a minute, I got to think about why I'm here and what my role is and what I'm going to do with, you know, the rest of my life. And I think those markets which embrace purpose first were the ones where there was trauma, societal trauma happening. Like in the United States, we had the 2008 financial crisis. We had, um, you know, uh, uh, Donald Trump as a, as an elected official sowing dissent Um so we had the kind of the the kind of tinder, if you will, for purpose to kind of catch fire. Um, but then COVID hit, and globally for two years we had a global amount of trauma. Like everybody in the world, no matter where you are, suffered. And so I think that it's not a coincidence that's why we're seeing such a flourishing of purpose now, as leaders and companies say. Well, that time made me really think about who I am and what legacy I want to leave behind. I spent all this time with my family, right? Oh. And, the, and, and the barriers between my persona at work and who I am as a father or a mother broke down. And so I can no longer go back to this, go, go back to this model where I can just put on a suit of armor and pretend to be somebody else. Like those family values are human values. And and, and especially now as people are working from home, like you can't pretend to be somebody else when your daughter is running behind you or, you know, and and so we're seeing kind of like, a, I think we're seeing a species level of consciousness occur because of trauma, which hopefully is the silver lining that we get coming out of the tragedy and, and trauma that, that COVID happened. And, and I think that's why you're seeing consumers now saying, I'm really going to be careful about what I buy and support brands mm. that have my values. Employees saying, well, I'm going to go work for companies that share my values and you better show me how my work has purpose and meaning. Um, and then coupled with the rise of ESG and impact investing with investors going, we think the best, most sustainable and ethical companies are the ones that are going to make the most amount of money. And so, so you're seeing for a modern day CEO, that's three of your biggest stakeholders. Your consumers, your investors, your employees going, I now expect you to do some good in the world. 
Um, and that's why we say purpose is the next digital. It's a wonderful quote from Max Lenderman. I want to give a shout out to Max who came up with that. And he's so true. It's like in business, if you think of how disruptive the arrival of digital was, well, get ready because purpose is arriving and it's going to be as transformative as, as the arrival of digital was. I love that. And and that excites me no end because, you know, um, like you, I've seen the businesses that are doing it so well. And and what we're seeing here is this um, this explosion of startups of um, I, I heard someone describe it as mission 2.0 focused businesses. So they start with their mission. They don't know what the business is going to be. They don't know what their products are going to be, but this is the problem they want to solve. And then they reverse engineer and go, how can yeah. we solve it? What business can we, we create to solve that problem? And you see that and it's like, whoa, and, and the success they have you know, immediately with the kind of investment they get um, and the interest they get from consumers without having to spend the big advertising dollars. And it's like, people, this is the future. No, it's um, harder. So it is harder to do that, right? It's hard enough to create a startup with no social purpose at all, right? And it's, as an entrepreneur, you know, myself, I've seen how incredibly hard it is to get things up and running. When you say, hey, we also have to make money and we also have to make an impact, you're doubling the complexity of it. Mm. Now, that's where um, having those values can also help you um, appeal to a bunch of consumers with more than just a great product at a great price. You know, it's that, that great kind of values as well. But it is harder to do that. And, and so I admire those incredible mission-driven startups in Australia. You have, you know, um, James Grudgen and the Good Beer Company, Spark Brewery, they're amazing. Um, all the way across to the people who um, have have now a kind of growth stage, like who gives a crap and thank you, and all the way across to the canvas of the world, right? Mm. Who are proving that you can do purpose at scale. There's an incredible array of different size companies um, that that are new to the world that are proving that you can have a purpose-driven model, which is why it perplexes me that mainstream Australian businesses or major Australian companies haven't embraced purpose like they have in the United States or Western yeah, Europe. Yeah, let's get into that. Why? Yeah. I mean, obviously, this is um, the market I serve and um, and I see what's happening overseas. And yeah. I also see what's happening with the, the leaders of the movement here. But when I talk to particularly bigger businesses here, I don't know, there's still that yeah, yeah, of course we need a purpose, but um, but their idea of purpose is not social purpose. Their idea of purpose is a statement that passively contextualizes what they already do today mm. and doesn't drive them into any genuine kind of action. Um, so so why why do you think why do you think Australia's lagging, particularly in the big business area? Because I don't well, think I it's want... the smaller businesses. I think it's the big ones. Yeah, I, I, I'll give you my theory and then you, I want to hear yours because I want to okay. compare notes, right? And so I, I've i been coming to Australia for five years now. We've done our Good as a New Cool, Good Con conferences in, in, in Sydney. We've done them in Melbourne. I've spoken numerous times at companies with the wonderful AANA folks who brought me in. 
And so I see the excitement in the room when I come and speak and people are like, yeah, we're ready for this. And then it kind of just fizzles out. And I spent some time thinking about why that is. Um, part of it in the beginning was um, Australia didn't have enough trauma. <laughs> Going back to my trauma. Oh, I think I think theory. Melbourne would disagree with you. <laughs> well, bef- this is before the fires, before kind of all of the, you know, the lockdowns and things like that. This is, this yeah, is the yeah, good days, right? Yeah. You never had a 2008 financial crisis. You kind of wonderful economy plowing ahead. And so there was a complacency, I think, that said, oh, you know, we're good. What do we not need to worry about? By the way, that's also something that comes from having a, a very good welfare state. You, the government is supposed to take care of problems, right? So why should corporations get involved? Um, another structural thing you share with Canada, which is there's also this kind of expectation that there's free healthcare, there's free education, brands and companies, you don't need to get involved in this. Um, I think there's also an old boys club I think there is a chauvinism that play there that is just happy with the status quo and doesn't really need to worry about kind of changing things because everybody's happy. Everyone's getting played well, um, you know, and I think that that's where, um, again, I go back to the fact that 90% of our clients are women who I feel there's, there's a, there's a reason because they are frustrated. They do see the inequality in, in a gender inequality. They do see, um, the problems around them that they're facing. And so they're more determined than ever to take that frustration and anger and turn it into action in a way that men aren't. They're, they're Our male clients, I love you guys and you're amazing. But what the women are doing is is unbelievable. They're rolling up their sleeves and getting involved. Um, Australia is also a conservative country. Right? It has a conservative government till pretty recently. And and I think that, you know, there was a uh, there wasn't like a huge progressive movement in the country, even in the kind of more liberal wing of government that, you know, is changing now with the arrival of your um, wonderful leader who I follow on Instagram. Albo. And I think that Albo. Um, and then I think there's a cynicism as well. It's the tall poppy syndrome, right? Uh, it's yes. saying it was like cynical about oh what's this brand trying to prove you know that they're good for people and the planet like oh no i'm I'm gonna take it with a grain of salt and i'm gonna cut you down to size because you know i i don't believe you i don't believe these fancy words you say so those are my four c's complacency chauvinism conservatism and cynicism which have i think to some extent retarded the growth of you know purpose in australia in in a way that is different to everywhere else in the world I I think you have identified um, very very clearly what is holding us back. Um, I mean, let's let's look at it. Complacency one one hundred percent. People are comfortable, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, I say that, and yet you may be shocked to learn that um, there are over three million Australians living below the poverty line, mm. and three quarters of a million children over three quarters of a million children living below the poverty line, wow. which is shocking in a country of what, 23 million population, yeah. right? And that that is only going to grow with the pressures we are under at the moment with interest rates mm-hmm. and inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that complacency is, is, um, is from the people who are in a position to do something, mm. right? The or people with influence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but you're 100 you're right there chauvin from chauvinism yes god yes i mean i lived in london for i lived in the uk for 14 years i lived in london for for 10 years and um Yes, it's changing, but God, it it has not changed here fast enough. It's you know you you look at the gender gap, and you know they're saying, oh yeah, look we've got we've got women in in leadership roles, but look at where they are, HR, marketing, yeah. mm-hmm. you know what about at CEO level, and um, and you know we have had a few women at CEO level, but then you also see how they're treated. Um, I don't I don't mm-hmm. know if you heard about the Christine Holgate affair. Um, she was CEO of Australia Post when our previous government were in place. And um, she was pulled apart by the media and by our prime minister for doing what every business does. Like she gave her top performers some expensive watches, mm, which probably saved right. them a lot of money compared to the bonuses that many of them get paid, right? Mm-hmm. She got action absolutely ripped apart by the pack and humiliated so how many women in business are going to look at that and go far out Mm. I don't want to go there Mm -hmm. because their women are held to a different standard in leadership than men are so chauvinism 100% Abdel conservatism yes yes um, we are I think Australia is a nation that you know, has so much talent. A lot of our talent goes overseas. Um, but it is a deeply conservative um, country. It is changing, but it still likes to see, let's see others go ahead first. Um, and, you know, I, I owned an agency for um, for 18 years and the number of times, uh, you know, we were given a brief from big corporate clients saying, we want to see innovation and then you present stuff to them and they'd go with something so conservative mm. and you'd be like, really walk the talk, please. But um, conser- we are conservative and yeah, there's just a reluctance to lead from the front. And I mean, lead, I, I talk a lot about capital L leadership, not just mm. leading, you know, a business, but, leading society in a world where society is crying out for leaders and business has to be a big part of that solution Mm. and cynicism yeah um and I think it comes from um a a lot of the um the more conservative men in Australia um yes there's cynicism and I see little you know comments about woke um but there's also there's also this it's all of those things but I can also feel bubbling beneath the surface and coming out Mm. this um desire um this desire for change and um one of the things i think is i I think the big thing that is um and it's sort of encapsulated in everything you've talked about here but it's fear i think there's Mm. a fear in doing something that that you know leaves the standard leaves the depart is a departure from the way we've always done some done things here doing something and then getting it wrong mm-hmm. leaves people open to criticism mm. you know their jobs are on the line so that it goes back to that conservatism but I, I think fear is a big part of that and another thing that 
um, I've got to be in my bonnet about at the moment is boards. I think a lot of boards in Australia lack the knowledge of what's going on around the world. Yeah. But more importantly, I think they lack the skills. Like boards today, you know, their their responsibility is for the governance of the business and they should be looking down the road at the future, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't I, this is just guesswork. I don't know myself, but just from from what I see and from what I read, I feel there is um, a lack of knowledge and skills in boards yeah. that really needs to be tackled. 100%. I, I wrote a Forbes article about this, which is the five mistakes boards make when they think about purpose. And um, it, it's, I go back to the purpose is the next digital um, analogy. This is a topic that they don't know anything about. They know parts of it, right? So they know traditional CSR. Um, they may be getting their heads around sustainability. They may be thinking now about DE&I, but they haven't really grasped the power of purpose, like the power of digital, meaning this energy that is unleashed inside a company um, when you're able to tap into that that fountain of of purpose, right? And I think that's where they're still treating it like a defensive um, tactic. Like, oh, mm. we should do this to be good corporate citizens. You know, oh, did we give some money to this nonprofit? Great job done. But the point of a board is to think long term, to look around corners and see things 10 years ahead, right? And if they're paying attention to what's happening, uh, a board that doesn't understand this topic is a board that is not performing its fiduciary duty. Um, towards its shareholders or towards this the CEO and uh, their team. Um, the CEO is in the weeds, right? The CEO's job mm. is the next 10, 12, 18 months. I get why they might be wrapped up in short-term kind of, you know, uh, timeframes, but a board's job is to look ahead and see three years, five years, 10 years out to spot problems occurring. Um, and the, the data is there, by the way. This is, I wanted to bring this up. This is... Um, you you must have seen this. This is the Porta Novelli Australia study that came out, um, which is fascinating stuff, right? So they finally took the time to actually go get some Australia-specific data. So this is one of the things I was looking for all the time to say, look, this isn't just US data, but this is Australia data. Um, the, the data is staggering. 91% agree the way a company operates must be aligned with its claimed purpose in society right um they're again going back to the cynic cynicism what they don't want is a, a company to say you know there's a great quote here join us in the battle to stop us from destroying the planet you know when they're <laughs> like speaking out of both sides of their mouth they, they expect the company to do the right thing whether it's on packaging or energy or waste as opposed to trumpeting the fact that they're doing something which is table stakes um but then w- once you do that that's where the benefit happens in terms of of those consumers now being more loyal to you, um, those employees now being more loyal to you. Check out these uh, statistics, right? So Australian employees, 82%, I'm willing to leave a company that acts in a way that contradicts its publicly stated mm. values. Yeah. 58%, I have left a company in the past because I was unhappy with the impact it's happening on society, right? And then finally, when it comes to investors, 77% agree, 
I would only invest in a company that has a positive impact on society. Yeah. So there you go. Consumers, employees, yeah. investors. Yeah. Australian data is telling you the writing is on the wall. So boards need to to wake up and pay attention to what's happening so they can be And that's good. the knowledge they lack, right? They 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 are not they do not understand. I, I said this the other day. This movement, this purpose movement is unstoppable. Um, we just had the Purpose Conference here last mm. month, I think it Amazing was. Amazing conference, yeah. An incredible conference and two days of that and just seeing what is happening at every level of business from startups to SMEs and to corporates, right, and um, seeing what is happening. I walked away just thinking after years toiling in this space, this movement is now unstoppable. Get on board or get out of the way mm -hmm. because it might not be immediate, but in the next five, seven, nine years, your business, your brands and your business are going to suffer if they are not on board. I believe that 100%. Yeah, it's, it's going to be like, if you had said the advent of digital, oh, we don't have a website, we don't really believe in yes. them, you know, and it's like you don't have a purpose statement to guide what you stand for, and you don't have a framework of a vision and values that guide everything you do. Like, how are you operating this business? You know, what are you using as a north star to get everybody focused on it? Enjoying the podcast. If you're looking for more inspiration, head to our website, thecauseeffects.com.au for more resources on how you can start using your business as a force for good. Or buy the For Love and Money book. Every copy sold allows us to protect one square metre of rainforest. Help us save 10,000 square metres by 2025. You know, my philosophy is, look, I divide the, do you want to know my purpose segmentation of businesses? Yeah, this go is, on. There's there's three categories. There's 0.001% of companies who I call purpose Jedis. Yeah. These are companies that aren't perfect. There's certainly always things they can improve, but they're doing a pretty good job of pushing the boundaries forward. That's your, your Patagonias, your Chibanis, your, your Legos, all the people that we put in our book, The Principles of Purpose. The next layer down is 0.999%, which is purpose curious. And yeah. that's where I would say all of our conspiracy of love clients are in it. Like they're like, we know this is huge. This is coming. We need to get ahead of it. We need to learn. We need to go, you know, um, use these muscles so that we can get really good at it. And the remaining is 99% is just people who are just like purpose ignorant. Like, I don't know what this is. I don't care about it. And they're the ones who are going to be most likely to be disrupted, you know, when, when the time comes. And so, my philosophy is, look, there's there's more than enough work to be done in that 0.99%. So I'm just going to focus my attention there and try and, you know, take these companies uh, on this journey of purpose transformation, just like companies went on a journey of digital transformation 20 years mm. ago. I love that analogy with digital. I think you're spot on. And um, it's interesting to hear your, your segmentation of purpose and it correlates... Um, with some things that we've um, developed just recently, actually. It came about from a collaboration with another company, Digital Storytellers, and it was actually a byproduct of our collaboration. And um, it, 
it's it's the purpose maturity curve, right? So mm. I talk a lot about purposeful companies versus those with a purpose and those without a purpose. And um, and through this collaboration, it was like, is there a purpose maturity curve? And of, of course there is. Mm -hmm. And it's similar to what you talk about, but ours has four sections. And the first one is the red zone where it's absent. That's profit-driven mm -hmm. companies. Mm -hmm. And then we have the amber zone. And the, the red zone myth is that the purpose of business is profit and purely profit. And then we have the amber zone, which is necessity. And that's mm -hmm. compliance, right? And the amber zone myth is we need to tick the boxes. We've got to recognise other stakeholders because we're being told we have to. Mm -hmm. And then we have the light green zone, which is exploratory. So this is your purpose curious, right? right? Yeah. And this is where organisations are starting to tentatively embed purpose in different areas. And the light green zone myth is having a purpose and giving back time and money is enough. Hmm. And the truth is a lot of people stop there because they think that's enough. Um, but then the dark green zone is where, you know, the, the wonderful things happen because um, the dark green zone is where organizations are purposeful. They're living purpose. Hmm. Uh, they might not be perfect, but they are looking at, you know, how do we serve our purpose in different ways without limiting ourselves to the confines of, you know, what we have been. And purposeful businesses, as we know, financially outperform the market. But it is at that dark green zone that you unleash the potential of people. Mm. And it's only when you unleash the potential of people that you can unleash the full potential of yeah. a business. Love it. I love the segmentation. I'm totally going to steal that. Uh, oh, I'll send it to you. Anyway. Steal it. Steal it. <laughs> Contribute to it. Let's, you know, make it something that, that yeah. really people can uh, understand and engage. I'll, I'll tell you where our work as conspiracy is now moving to, you know, and when we talk about purpose transformation, the goal of a company is to get it to the point where it has put solving social or environmental problems at the core of its growth strategy. There's maybe not its, its current strategy, but it's saying, look, there is um, inclusive growth that you can, you can get to if you come up with a way of picking a problem in the world and tackling it and, and doing so in a way that's in line with your business model. Um, we work with Adidas two years ago around the idea of economic inclusivity in sport. And the business case we constructed was saying, look, Adidas, if you invest in bringing more people into sport, people who are historically disenfranchised, who don't have access to um, programs or, or uh, you know facilities, things like that, th that, there's a billion people on the planet who could be your future consumers down the line. And and if you can be the brand that has an affinity to them as they're coming up to the point where they can afford your products, guess who they're going to pick when they walk into a store, when they're mm. able to say, I can buy my first pair of shoes or my first football or whatever else, right? Um, similarly, with um, we're working with an insurance company who have a, a home insurance um, product line. And we're kind of analyzing the barriers, the, you know, um, the 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 racial injustice in uh, black home ownership, 
and saying, well, look, there's a disparity in access to capital in these neighborhoods that you're part of. And if you can find a way to take your money and lend it to black banks or lend it to credit unions, who can then lend it to people who want to buy homes, guess what they'll need when they buy a home? They're going to need home insurance. And mm. guess which brand is going to be top of mind? You, you're going to be top of mind, right? And so um, this is the really exciting stuff when we go in and go and look at a company and we look at how it's operating a society and find that that sweet spot, which says, this is a problem you can profitably solve. Yes. Now let's, how do you line up everything you have, your product innovation, your employees, your, your, even your philanthropic investments, instead of it just all blasting out in lots of different places, how do you integrate this? How do you give it a focus and a lens and say, this is going to, you know, we talk about um, helping a company finds its, its sword and shields, which is like great Unilever language. What is your sword? What is the problem you're going to mm. fix in the world? And, and how do you solve it profitably? Because the more money you make, the more good you can do and the more money you can make. And then that flywheel of purpose starts operating. Yeah, mm. I, I love you. I love you talked about the flywheel in your book a lot. And I thought that was amazing. The, the, the other thing is it's such a, it, it has a potential to be such a game changer for a business. You know, you, you've talked about Adidas and, and the home insurance company. And I think about businesses like PayPal and Mahindra, who, you know, they are actually, they, their ambitions, I think PayPal has an ambition to serve a billion customers. And mm -hmm. it has forced them to look beyond the narrow lens of who most businesses seek to serve which is the middle class and wealthy right mm -hmm. and they they're, they're saying we actually have to serve underserved communities mm -hmm. so if we're going to serve underserved communities we've got to help underserved communities we've got to support um you know minority owned businesses and things like that and give them access to finance we've got to get, give them access to support and the simple fact is when you raise up more people in society to participate in the benefits of society you create more consumers you you create more wealth you create more potential yeah. customers yeah. and it's such a big opportunity for businesses yes. to think differently um yeah. and mahindra is another wonderful example of that um yeah. but yeah that that's um I, I think that's the opportunity that so many businesses don't it that they, they're they're so blinkered in some ways they don't see yeah. that bigger opportunity I'll, you know i'll give you another word that is occupying my head uh it's it's a gigacorn um and this is when it ref now we're shifting gears to talk about climate tech right yeah um a gigacorn is a company that um lowers carbon emissions by one gigaton a year but in a way that can generate a billion dollars. So wow. if you think about unicorns, if you think yep. about, you know, um, gigacorns in the same way, it's saying there is a huge amount of money to be made in climate tech. Mm. Um, and it's, it's right there. We're about to go through the biggest transformation of an economy when we decarbonize it. We have to do it. It's just inevitable. And so those companies who are thinking about this as a business opportunity and saying, 
not like, oh my God, we have to kind of, you know, achieve a net zero emission by 2030, but going, oh my God, we can make a lot of money if we achieve that faster than everybody else. And we can also find a way to um, treat it as a gigantic business opportunity to develop products and services and offerings and technology around as well. And so that's really where kind of, I really am passionate about shifting this conversation from a defensive conversation, like, oh, we have to become a good corporate citizen and we have to do X, Y, and Z to going, no, no, no. The the wildly exciting thing is, is what happens when you put it at the heart of your, your growth strategy and say, how do we become a purpose-driven company that's highly profitable by solving problems, by solving these social environmental problems in the world? Mm, from defense to offense. And I remember reading somewhere that... Um, the global goals, the sustainable development goals are a $12 trillion yeah. opportunity. And, yeah. you know, th this is what businesses who, um, I'm not even going to bother talking about the businesses who are blind to the purpose opportunity. I, yeah. I really want to focus on the businesses who are tentatively playing, yeah. you know, exploring yeah. purpose, but in the traditional silos of HR and marketing. There is so much up, money on the table. It is. And uh, you bring up a, another very important philosophy that we have, which is purpose needs to start inside out. Meaning you have to light a fire in employees first. You have to make sure that they feel safe, that they feel like they belong, that all of the other kind of, you know, the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is 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 achieved. But then when you go into a company and you light a fire in, in the employees and you say, what do we want to achieve together? What's the movement we want to create? And it bubbles up that way as an authentic manifestation of all these leaders and employees saying, yeah, this is the problem we want to solve. My God, that's way more powerful than, yes. you know, uh, a, a McKinsey or a Bain coming and saying, hey, this is the thing you need to do. You you need You need to have the business case for it as well. But it is absolutely crucial that you light a fire in people, you know, and, and this is what we do with the, uh, we have a, a GPS to purpose um, methodology and approach where we go in and do large scale purpose um, workshops with the employees. We've done them in Australia. We did it with uh, A2 Milk. We've done them with uh, Hanes. And something magical happens when you engage those people inside the company on this purpose journey. Um, that's when it becomes authentic. You know, that's when it becomes really powerful. And so that's a piece of advice I would give for any leader thinking about this is absolutely, number one, get in touch with your own purpose as a leader. But number two, spend as much time as you can um, stoking that in in your employees. I, I We were talking before this interview about Nikki Sparshot at Unilever, mm. uh, who's an incredible leader. And I recently did a Forbes article with her. And she said that was a crucial part of what she did as soon as she arrived there. She spent a lot of time making sure um, that employees had clarity around their own purpose and how it aligned with that of the company. Yeah. And I was so glad to hear her say that because that is a secret sauce. That is really what separates great purpose-driven companies from just the good. I, I don't know if you agree with that, Caroline. I 100% agree with yeah. that. And, and, it's 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 interesting because you and I both come from an agency background, right? Um, I, I was never agency side; I was client side for twenty years. Oh, but but, I, uh, but yeah. my mistake. I thought <laughs> um, 
but uh, I came from an agency background where we used to take a brief from a client, go away, come up with a solution, ta-da, da-da-da. And I quickly realised when I pivoted away from agency into what is now the cause effect um, that, that that model simply does not work for purpose. Um, and I've seen it time and time and time again fail. It has to come from the inside. And, and that's why we um, we run workshops um, similarly. Um, and it's about uncovering purpose, right? But it's also about we always start with who. Um, no disrespect to Simon Sinek. Love his work. Mm. But context is everything. And the world has changed since 2009-10 when Start With Why came out. Um, and you can't start with why until you start with who. You know, um, I know the big consultancies talk about unique organisational identity, but the truth is it's there. Even when you don't know it, it's, you know, and we've run workshops where it's like who are the best of you, you know, your best customers, your best people, employees, your best partners. What is it about the best of you? that makes you you and through a process we uncover that and without fail it has been the most eye-opening part of the process from the feedback mm. from from clients it's like oh my god that is us that is who we are yeah and I think that identity is so is going to be so important to organizations because when they know who they are you know and it, this is not a contradiction to diversity who they are is driven by a shared narrative. It's what you care about. It's narrative, shared narrative, which is vision and values mm -hmm. and purpose, right? But it's like, who are you? What matters to you? You know, what what will you stand up for? What What is your line in the sand? Mm. Um, and then let's build on that and let's attract more people who, are care, who care about those things. Let's bring diversity into that and you know see where we can go with it so and I love that you're doing that that GPS to purpose um and working with um with people and helping them define their own purpose I remember reading about Unilever doing that a few years ago and thinking wow that is the next iteration mm. and I think that will come to Australia um and the for the more progressive companies I think that's that's something that um, will happen now. Um, I want to see more Australian companies be more courageous mm -hmm. and and lean into, you know, becoming purposeful and yeah. letting purpose drive action. What is your? Oh, we're coming up to the hour, and um, and we're going to have to um, we're going to have to bring this to a close, which is really frustrating because I've enjoyed this chat and I think we could chat on for a while um but you know ba based on what you've highlighted is holding purpose back in Australia what do you think is the opportunity I I also I want to lead you a little bit on this because you mentioned women and 90% of your clients being women and I'm I suspect that um you have experienced what what we have experienced, which is it's usually led by an individual, a champion, mm -hmm. you know, someone who has this burning desire to make change, to use their influence in a business to make change. Speaking to our listeners who might be those people, 
what's your advice to them? What, what, how do they, how do they start? Yeah, it's a great question to end on. Um, I'd say really do the work to understand your own purpose first, you know, and, and you know, in, in this new book that we're writing, which is called GPS to purpose, like, how do you find your purpose? Love you, it. You there's like, there's three stages to your career. Stage one is I'm not important. Stage two is I am important. And stage three is I want to work on something important. Oh, I love it. <laughs> right. And if you find yourself at that stage where you're like, that's not working something important, then really take the time to look at your own GPS, look at your gifts, passions, and why, who, who can you be of service to the best purpose-driven leaders can recite their purpose, like poetry, like they're super clear on it. They have that clarity. Um, so that's step one. And then step two is find your allies. Like there's gotta be somebody else in the organization who feels the same thing too. And all you need to do is find one other person. Then you have a conspiracy. A conspiracy is two people, right? So just find one other person and then you'll find more and then gradually it'll start to grow. And and then you're off to the races, you know? So yeah, do the work on your own purpose, find your allies. Um, and trust me, it is the most incredible journey you will ever go on in your life or your career. Afdel, thank you. Wise, wise words, wise advice. Um, thank you so much for joining us um, today on the podcast. I've loved chatting to you. Um, you really are a leader in this space and a source of huge inspiration to me. Um, so thank you. Right back at you, Carolyn. Thank you for being a leader in this space too. And, and thank you for having me today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the For Love and Money podcast. If you'd like to take a deeper dive into the purpose movement, visit us at thecauseeffect.com.au. And remember, doing good is good for business. So if you're not doing good, then what are you doing?